Wow, I can't believe the U.S. Open is going to be the first Grand Slam back after the COVID break. It'll certainly be historic. Exactly, and it's so unfortunate we can't be there to get the inside scoop. Um, guys, I can help with that. Wait, really? How? Well, I was actually working at the U.S. Open this year, so I can give you a first-hand account of the experience. Can't wait to hear it. Stay tuned. everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Travia and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravya and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the young female voices in modern day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. All right, everyone, welcome to our ATP season recap episode of Hold On To Your Racket. Today is December 17th. Josefina and I have been enjoying the snow for the past uh, day or two. You know, we even made, well, Josefina even made um, the hotter snowman, which we posted on our Instagram. So be sure to check that out. It was pretty awesome. But we're carrying in that energy from the snow day into a wonderful episode for you. So... ATP season recap, a lot of things happened, so we're going to start with the hottest headlines of the year, Um, and Josefina, just like we started off in our WTA recap, is going to start with a very bittersweet hot headline from this year. Right, another retirement. I mean, in the WTA one, we talked about Sharapova and Wozniacki, and now in the ATP episode, we're going to have to talk about the Bryan brothers retiring. So Bob and Mike announced their retirement a few days before the 2020 U.S. Open happened. Bob Bryan said, We are leaving professional tennis with zero regrets. We'll miss the competition and camaraderie amongst the players. We'll also miss the excitement of gearing up for a big match and playing for the roar of the fans. And Mike said, We feel it's the right time to walk away. We've given over 20 years to the tour, and we are now looking forward to the next chapter of our lives. And... Leaving the tour is um, something huge for them, especially since they are the most accomplished doubles team in history with 119 titles overall, 16 Grand Slams, 39 ATP Masters titles and an Olympic gold medal. Yeah, I think they were looking forward to having maybe 2020 being their big exit year, but obviously under the circumstances that was impossible. So that's definitely sad to see them go. But moving into the events that kind of took place at the Western and Southern Open and the U.S. Open, where there was obviously a lot of drama with the ATP, um, we saw the formation of the Professional Tennis Players Association, or the PTPA, which is somewhat akin to a players' union of sorts. Um, We obviously reported on how Djokovic and Pospisil were the two spearheading this um, formation of this um, group. And they, along with a lot of the players who supported the initiative, wanted an outlet, really, for players to be able to express their concerns within a body, but, you know, separate from the ATP, but also not in competition with the ATP. And a lot of their um, platform was surrounded around the notion, or sorry, the issues of prize money, especially recently with coronavirus, but also more so in general, because they argued that 
not enough of the share of tournament money, um, tournament revenue goes to the players and that it's also not properly allocated towards the lower ranked players. So it's kind of unclear what the status of the PTPA is at the moment. I think Josephina and I have sort of talked about it a little bit here and there. Um, most recently with the news that Djokovic and Pospisil were going to rejoin the player council at the ATP. But then there's also been some reporting that the um, ATP is actually trying to prevent that from happening. So I would just say all in all, the ATP has, you know, since the PTPA formation or whatever has been formed of it, has been a lot more communicative with players directly to try to improve relations with them. But at the, on the same, at, on the other hand, they have had a pretty clear anti-PTPA stance, trying to convince players to not to join it, and saying that players have to resign from the player council if they want to be members of the PTPA. So, a lot of discussion around prize money, unionization, and how that takes place in individual sports. But you know, Novak Djokovic unfortunately had a not-so-great incident only a couple weeks later at the U.S. Open. Yeah, exactly. And you probably remember what happened here. I mean, he was playing Pablo Carreño Busta in the round of 16. He was down a break in the first set, so he hit a ball out of frustration and hit a lineswoman in the throat. And she couldn't even breathe for some time. The U.S. Open said in accordance to this was in accordance with the Grand Slam rulebook following his actions of intentionally hitting a ball dangerously or recklessly within the court or hitting a ball with negligent disregard of the consequences. The U.S. Open tournament referee defaulted Novak Djokovic from the 2020 U.S. Open. So he tried to negotiate negotiate with the tournament referees saying things like she doesn't have to go to the hospital or anything you're going to choose a default for a situation that happened to me first time with the line umpire like that in my career in a grand slam on center stage he also skipped the press conference right after which is against the rules so if you want more on this definitely recommend listening to the seventh episode of ours to hear more of this because that was when the news had just come out can I just say, though, the fact that we reported on that in our seventh episode makes me realize how many episodes we've done since. Like, I feel like we kind of just had the U.S. Open. I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that tennis isn't around at the moment that my tennis season timeline is totally skewed. But, um, yeah, definitely check out that episode if you want to hear more. Unfortunately, um, the headlines surrounding the ATP didn't really continue to improve. We obviously had... Um, you know, the situation with Alexander Zverev and the domestic abuse allegations, his ex-girlfriend, Olya Sharapova, who he met while they were both junior tennis players, um, the allegations she made against him, and some very serious allegations about emotional and physical abuse during their relationship, which ended last year. Um, we talked about her interview with Racket Magazine and Ben Rothenberg. Um, definitely, if you haven't read it yet, I would encourage you to read that article if you're ready to. Um, Josephina and I both read it. It has a lot of important stuff in there, and it's important to sort of see all that she has to share. Um, but, you know, she discussed some events at the 2019 U.S. Open, Labor Cup, among other tournaments, um, and interactions that she had with Zverev that um, were forms of abuse towards her. Um, Zverev has since denied all the allegations. Um, you know, in a recent interview, the entire Zverev family did. They also continue to sort of try to blame Sharapova and, you know, tarnish her image. But, you know, it's overall a really painful situation, especially for Olya. And, 
you know, the ATP has no domestic violence policy. Um, and Zverev isn't the only ATP player on the tour who has been accused of domestic violence, obviously. The other one being um, Nicholas Basilashvili. So, I mean, the ATP has remained pretty silent on the issue. No sponsors have dropped Zverev. They have no policy of how to deal with it. So, it's pretty disappointing. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, disappointing. That's the word for it. And I was about to introduce the next hot headline as more ATP news, since I forgot that this isn't only ATP episode. So what I was going to say is that the ATP also launched a new social media marketing campaign called This Is Tennis on December 9th. The marketing and business development for the ATP manager said, our intention is to showcase tennis as more than a sport. Yes, we have some of the world's top athletes competing on tour day in, day out, but it encompasses so much more than that. Resilience, dedication, passion, spirit. Tennis is a nonstop lifestyle and a unique entertainment property. Some examples of this This Is Tennis campaign are Tsitsipas's, which was This Is Next Gen, to next big big thing medvedev had this is zero shots given and Djokovic, this is being number one and still wanting more so something interesting about this is how it kind of happened on a parallel with the wta's rebrand that had the hashtag for the game and they were supporting each other even on this on social media we saw wta give a tweet of support to the atp when they when the atp launched their campaign saying something like um I forgot. Just supporting, Something support, yeah. I don't know. It's also, like, we see, I think, these signs of the two tours working together more and more. We saw the WTA adopt the ATP tournament naming system, too. But I gotta say, I'm a big fan of uh, Medvedev's little things. This is zero shots given. That's a pretty nice pun there. Um, But, yeah, those were some of the hottest headlines from the ATP season. Honestly, if you note, they're kind of, like, all right after the COVID break. I feel like that's when a lot of stuff happened in the ATP. Um, But now you're caught up on the events of 2020. Um, So we're going to take you into some Grand Slam recaps now. Actually... It's not just Josefina and I today. We have a we have a special guest today with us, Hudson Cayley. He's been our tennis coach for I don't know how many years, but a, quite a long time. And um, arguably, his cooler occupation is that he's a U.S. Open ball person, which we're going to talk about a bit later. But Hudson, if you want to introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, my name's Hudson. You know, as Travia said, tennis coach, ball person. This is my seventh year as a ball person. Uh, I think, Shravi, you're also a ball person. I, <laughs> yes, I am a ball person. Um, but I'm definitely not as much of a veteran ball person uh, as you are. But Josefina has a couple uh, get-to-know-you questions um, in terms of getting to know you as a tennis fan. So, yeah, to just, like get a sense of who you are as a tennis fan if you could just list a few of your favorite players and why they are your favorite players uh let's go top three so one i'd say roger uh he's the best you know class act two i'd say nick curios great guy really fun to watch third i'd go rafa just for the competitiveness. 
Nice. I and kind of, like, <laughs> agree with all three of those. Yeah, those are, I mean, the Rafa pick is a little safe, but it's okay. And then also your favorite pro tournament. I have to think about this one. Uh, you know, I'd go with the US Open, maybe. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to think about that one. Yeah, if you if you didn't say that, it might have cost you your job for next year. So, so as we said, uh, today we're going to be recapping the ATP season, and right now we're going to be recapping the Grand Slam. So, we're going to give you guys a flashback of what happened, starting off with the Australian Open, which seemed like a very long time ago, as we talked about in our WTA recap. But if we had to, going back all the way to January, thinking about who had the best odds going in, um, we'd probably say the big three were still the ones who were reigning supreme in the slams. No one had any idea of what was to come in 2020 with the next gen kind of breaking through. Obviously, Federer won it in 2017 and 2018 most recently. He had a pretty decent 2019, except the uh, Wimbledon final that us Federer fans don't really like to. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I know. I don't. I don't. Maybe I'm just making this up. Maybe it just never happened. Um, Rafael Nadal obviously came off of the last with the last hardcore Grand Slam um, with the 2019 U.S. Open, and he was the world number one at the time. And then Novak Djokovic was the defending champion. He's pretty much the king of the Australian Open. He also was just coming off of the ATP Cup win for Serbia, and he took the Australian Open crown once again this year. But while those were the kind of big three going in, we also had some unexpected breakthroughs. Yeah, definitely starting with Tennis Sandgren, the unseated American who stretched Federer in an epic five-set battle in the quarterfinals, but even eventually lost that match. Um, and then also Milos Raonic, who was 32nd seed at the time, and he reached the quarterfinals, defeated Sisyphus and Cilic along the way, and then eventually fell to Djokovic. Now... There, here's where it gets interesting. We had two other major breakthroughs with Alexander Zverev and Dominic Thiem, who obviously would be the U.S. Open finalist a couple months later. Um, Zverev had often been touted as the next Grand Slam winner as the big, after the big three, but this is the first time he had a pretty solid performance in the Grand Slams, reaching his first semifinal. And then Thiem had been a two-time French Open finalist before this. He reached the finals in Melbourne, defeating Monfils, Nadal, Zverev. So Hudson, we wanted to ask you, do you think that this specific performance of Dominic Team at the US at the Australian Open kind of cemented his spot at, as the men's player who could best challenge the big three in the slams? Or do you think that that was decided a lot earlier with his French Open success? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I think Team's always been that fourth guy. He's been successful in the French, you know, a few finals. But this was the first time he's been to another uh, hardcore Grand Slam final. And he took Djokovic to five sets in the final. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of the final, Djokovic did win the Australian Open in the end. He defeated Federer on the way there in the semifinals in straight sets. And like we said before, Tiam and Djokovic played an epic, epic five-set match. And it was the start of a very successful year for the Serbian. And, I mean, were you really surprised by this win, considering Djokovic is one of the big three? Uh, I think that was he was the favorite going in. I think team did a great job taking him to five. He was up, I think, two sets to one. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Djokovic, the best of five in the Australian Open. I mean, he doesn't really lose, so... <laughs> 
Yeah, well, since we're all, the three of us are um, self-proclaimed Federer fans, we do want to take a second to reminisce on um, his run there, but also some recent news, literally news from yesterday. Um, so Federer obviously hasn't played a tournament since. I honestly didn't even remember he made it all the way to the semifinals. It's been that long. Um, so we want, want to kind of talk about what this all means for Roger Federer in 2021. So yesterday or a couple of days ago were the Swiss Sports Awards. So he won the title of uh, the award of best athlete of the past 70 years. And in an interview, he kind of said that he's making progress after his knee operation and that he definitely wants to play the Olympics. But he did say that he doesn't feel totally ready for 2021 Australian Open, and he doesn't want to rush it. He said, quote, I hope that in 2021 I will return to the courts. We will see. But if my career has to end here, well, it would be incredible to end it with this award, which kind of was <laughs> made me really sad. So Hudson, what does this mean? Is he going to retire? Do we or do we kind of trust him to maybe rest a bit more and come back later in the season? Uh, I have no ex- expectations for Federer, you know? He has really nothing to lose. He, what does he have to prove? Nothing to prove. He's playing against these young guys. He's 39 years old. Uh, I don't think he's coming in with any pressure, so that's good for him. That's a promising way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, and speaking of Federer, he recently released that hat with Uniqlo. I mean, have you gotten yourself one? Not yet. Not yet. Doesn't mean no. Hudson, they're sold out. I guess I guess they're sold out. I guess I'm not getting one. (laughs) Josephina got two though, so so if she's feeling generous. Yeah, I don't think she agrees with that. (laughs) I don't think she'll want to give one to you. Okay. Moving on to your favorite Grand Slam, the US Open. We're going to start with who had the best odds going in, and we're going to start with Djokovic, who was completely undefeated up until this point in 2020. He defaulted in the round of 16 to Pablo Carreño Busta. That was a little bit of an incident. But as soon as he lost, here's the main point, it became clear that there would be a first-time champion at the U.S. Open this year. So really, how significantly the lack of big three opens up the field in big events like the grand slams is a really big like topic in this year's u.s open so like what do you think about that uh i actually liked it you know first first grand slam champion new one in a while uh i thought it was going to be medvedev going to the final the team i mean it looked easy the way he beat him and the way he was in the final against Verev, uh, five sets, down two sets, championship points. That was really impressive. Yeah, and speaking of Medvedev, that's the second one with the best odds going in that I was going to talk about. He had high expectations from last year's run to the final, where he was defeated by Rafael Nadal, the defending champion, and but was eventually defeated in the semifinal by the champion. And then finally, we have Tiam, who had the recent Grand Slam result at the Australian Open that was impressive that we just discussed. And he was seated at second. And of course, he was the eventual winner of the U.S. Open. So before the default, which I don't think anyone expected, and actually probably was a very weird experience for you as a ball person to be there during the default. But who did you... uh, 
think had the best odds going into the tournament. You thought it was Medvedev, or you thought maybe Djokovic could also be up there? No, at the end of the day, I think Djokovic was the favorite for both tournaments, Cincinnati and the U.S. Open. Uh, if he just controlled his emotions, maybe he would have seen something different. Definitely no fans didn't help him. I think that definitely didn't help him. Uh, I think the crowd usually liked Djokovic at the U.S. Open. But, yeah, Djokovic is definitely the favorite going in. All right, and if we had to highlight an underdog of the tournament, an underdog who's actually made a breakthrough at the U.S. Open before, I would have to say it would be Pablo Carreño Busta. I don't think anybody except, expected to see him in a semifinal of a Grand Slam this year, uh, especially given the way he got there. But more importantly, he still did you know, have a pretty good run beating a bunch of good players. So, Hudson, what do you think of Pablo Carreño Busta's second time um, U.S. Open success, obviously, after his great run in 2017. Yeah, I think I was on that match in 2017 when he played Kevin Anderson in the quarters, I think. But, yeah, he did. He had a great run. He almost made it to the final, two sets up for Zverev. Yeah, I mean, I think he likes to play in New York. And, I mean, after he earned that spot in the quarterfinals after passing Djokovic due to the default, he even backed it up with that um, match against Shapo, the five-set thriller, 3-6-7-6-7-6-0-6-6-3. And, I mean, I think it's really important that he really backed it up saying that it was not a fluke that he made it to the um, further rounds in the U.S. Open this year. So I think it was pretty, like important that he beat Shapo in that match in the quarterfinals. Although that was pretty painful to watch as a Shapovalov fan. I didn't really enjoy watching that just Didn't you know. didn't Shapovalov um, play uh him last time also in twenty seventeen? Yeah, last time and lo- lost in three tiebreakers. Right. Yeah, that was rough. So yeah. But, you know, going into the final, again, as Hudson said, first final um we've had without one of the big three in a pretty long time. Um, and it was obviously Dominic team versus Alexander Zverev team took the title from two sets to love down. Um, so I, I thought that was a pretty, a pretty interesting match. And I know Josefina and I were watching it together and we're pretty stressed out during it. We actually have a zoom recording of us watching it together and we went pretty crazy during that match, especially in the last set tiebreak. That was, that was definitely something. And, I mean, what were your thoughts um, considering how the final came out and how we thought it would look like in the beginning? Uh, it was definitely weird with no fans. There was all these great points, and, I mean, you can still, like, feel, like, the intensity in the air. I know Zverev definitely did. His racket probably felt so heavy with all those serves. Yeah. All those double faults, yeah, probably. Um, We did want to ask you, though, um, more so about your ball person experience at the U.S. Open these past seven years. So, um, you know, how, what was the experience like? Especially, how was it kind of different this year, obviously, since it's weird with no fans and stuff? Right, so this year was actually very cool. Uh, There was really no one on the facility uh you get to see the players in in the food village and playing basketball and soccer 
Another thing that was interesting was the masks. We had to wear masks on the court. That was that was tough. Three person crews. I know you don't see that on TV because you have the full person crews, but on the field courts, there's three person crews. Yeah, so this year is definitely uh, really different. What makes you keep coming back to work as a ball person? I mean, get to be on court with the best players in the world, see the highest level tennis. I mean, you don't really get to go any closer. You agree? I definitely agree. Of my one year of experience, I agree. So then looking at the experience as an overall, what has been your favorite match, or if there's multiple matches, to work on? Uh, my favorite match? Probably have two. One was uh, Federer versus Tiafo. I think that was... 17 2017 when it was the first round and went five sets i think the match ended at like one in the morning uh the other one was nadal versus medvedev last year where that went five sets and the crowd was just so loud it was deafening yeah i mean i feel like medvedev is probably one of those players who's interesting to have on court while being a ball person. Who's probably the most, like, enigmatic or emotional player that you've had? Emotional? Uh, I'd say Serena. I'd say Serena. Yeah, I'm going to leave it there. All right, so moving on to the last Grand Slam of the year, which is kind of weird that Roland Garros came last, um, but obviously due to the weird scheduling. If we had to say the popular players going in, it definitely was, again, Djokovic and Nadal and team. Um, Djokovic obviously completely def- undefeated until the U.S. Open, um, but you can never count him out. Um, team was obviously coming off of his U.S. Open momentum, and he's also known as the Prince of Clay. And then Nadal is obviously the King of Play, reigning champion, um, and he was competing for his 13th uh, Roland Garros title and 20th uh, Grand Slam, and he obviously got the win, but I would say there were two players that Josefina and I are huge fans of who also made some pretty significant breakthroughs this year. Yeah, and they both made it to the semis, so that was extremely impressive in itself. Starting off with Tsitsipas, who, like, this is his best Grand Slam result, and he's, like, known as next-gen, so it's cool to see so many players breaking through this year, especially the 2019 Nito champion, but he eventually lost to Djokovic in the semifinals. And then Diego Schwartzman, who's one of my favorite ATP players. This was a big year for him. He made it to the finals in Rome, obviously taking out Rafa. And then he backed it up with a semifinal run to the French Open. Um, But then again, eventually uh, losing to Nadal eventually in the semifinals. But if we had to fast forward to the final, it was a classic big three final with in terms of the matchup Djokovic was versus Nadal but it was pretty one-sided I mean Djokovic got bageled in the first set 6-2-7-5 for the other two um and I mean it was perfect symmetry Rafael Nadal tying Roger Federer for 20 grand slams in 2020 um so I think now looking to the future a big question awaits Yeah, I mean, when he won the French Open, Rafael Nadal not only equaled Roger Federer's Grand Slam record of 20, he also passed his own record of 13 French Open singles titles. So what next-gen player do you think is most capable of equaling or even surpassing this record? No, that record, it's not being touched. 
probably ever. You know, 13 slams in a tournament, that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it's not even not even close. Which next gen player do you think will get the most slams then? Uh I think Sinner has a lot of potential. I think Sitsipas has a lot of potential. Uh but I don't know if they're gonna dominate like like these guys did, like the big three did, big four. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Sinner, like, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm a huge fan of Sinner, and I think the fact that he's able to win so many titles or even get farther in tournaments now at this age, and it doesn't seem like he's kind of getting, like, lower in those results, I think it's really cool to see that he's so level-headed at such a young age because that really proves a lot for his future. So Josephina and I took some time on our own to talk about the ATP Awards nominations, but stay tuned for the end. Hudson's going to rejoin us for the Tennis Ball Frizz Quiz, where we're going to see if he can answer some tricky trivia questions about this year's ATP season. So next up, we have the ATP Award nominations, which is the way we're going to kind of frame how we focus on some of the highlight players of this year, starting off with the Tennis Channel Players of the Year and starting with Novak Djokovic, who actually already won the title or kind of nomination award, award, won the award. I mean, he was undefeated for more than halfway through the year. He had five titles, including the Australian Open title, and he was a Roland Garros finalist. Yeah, and then our next person is Dominic Team, the world number three. Uh, he obviously won the U.S. Open, got to the finals of the Australian Open, and the NITO ATP finals. Just to clarify, though, the reason why... So the ATP, unlike the WTA, doesn't have an official Player of the Year award category. Tennis Channel kind of um, did their own, which is actually a pretty good list anyways. So we're rolling with that. But um, yeah, so our two so far have been Djokovic and Tiem. Uh, Josefina, why don't you talk about the King of Clay, who's our next nominee? Sure. Rafael Nadal, the number two in the world currently. He has two titles in 2020, including the French Open title and Acapulco from earlier in the year. I mean, the French Open in itself was the 20, his 20th Grand Slam title, and he, when he won this, he tied the men's singles record for most Grand Slams with Roger Federer. Yeah, and next we have Andrei Rublev, current world number eight. Um, he has uh, the, tied for the most titles in 2020 with Djokovic, five titles, a win-loss record of 41-10. to 10. He leads the um, tour this year with most number of wins. And, you know, he's been super strong both before and after the COVID break, which is pretty awesome. And then lastly, we have Daniil Medvedev, the number four in the world currently. He is the NITO ATP Finals champion, Rolex Paris Masters champion, and he kind of had kind of an inconsistent season until the end because you see those two titles were back-to-back at the very end of the year. But still, those are accomplishments in themselves. Yeah, I think when we talk about who deserves the award, Tennis Channel, as you said, obviously picked Djokovic. I think that makes sense, you know, like he won a Grand Slam, he remained world number one, had the most titles on tour tied with Rublev. But I also think this is this was a tight race. In my opinion, if we're looking at like the Grand Slam level and really performing well at that level, I think Dominic Team was super close in that as well if not better, well, yeah, better, because Djokovic didn't 
get further than the round of 16 in the U.S. Open. So I think Dominic Thiem was the best Grand Slam tennis player of the year. I think that maybe because of Djokovic's world number one ranking um, and the other titles he got this year, that put him over the edge. But if Team had maybe taken the Nito crown, I would have put him as the player of the year. But I know Josefina was saying, actually was making a really good case for Rublev when we were talking about this earlier too. Yeah, I thought that Rublev also was a good contender for this award because he tied for most titles in 2020 with Djokovic. He had an incredible win-loss record, and he was super strong throughout the year. And he had consistent results in the Grand Slams, even if they were not all the way to the end. They were still consistent, and considering the fact that he is much younger and on a different kind of tier of players than Djokovic, he is definitely a contender for this title. Or award. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, well, you obviously will mix up titles and awards for Andre Rublev because he has so many titles this year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, one. as you said, I mean, he did also make the quarterfinals of a few slams. So all in all, I would say, you know, the, it, it's, a, it's a tough race. So moving on to most improved player of the year, another category starting off with Hugo Umbert, who ended 2019 at 57 and then ended 2020 at 30, a career high, 27 ranking spots up. He won titles in Auckland and Antwerp beginning and end of the season, and he reached the quarterfinals at the Rolex Paris Masters. I'm pretty sure that's where we saw him upset Medvedev, am I right? No, no, Medvedev won that tournament. No, (laughs) no. Take all that stuff. Oh, yeah, he beat... he No, 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 no. He beat Medvedev at Hamburg. You're right, on the yeah, play tournament. That was that was yeah. a great match. I remember watching that. That was amazing. Yes. I think, like, one crazy point from that match... I think It was, like, like so many... Who, it was a super long so, rally. So, it was, like, the ATP highlighted it on their social media. It was crazy. It lives in my mind rent-free sometimes. Anyways, moving on to our next nominee for Most Improved Player of the Year... Back again is Andre Rublev, one of our favorites here on Hotter. Um, he ended the season last year ranked number 23. Now he's ending at a career high of number 8. He moved up 15 ranking spots and inside the top 10, so some significant strides there. And his five titles were in Adelaide, Doha, Hamburg, St. Petersburg, Vienna. And then he also reached the U.S. Open and Roland Garros quarters and qualified for NITO. So... I mean, amazing season from Rublev, as we were discussing just earlier. And then we have Diego Schwartzman, another one of our favorites, who ended 2019 at number 14 and ended 2020 at number 9, a career high, five ranking spots up, and he is now inside the top 10, as you can see. He got to the Cordoba final early in the season, and then his real success came after the COVID break, where he made the Rome final um, French Open semifinal, and he qualified for Nito, which were all amazing. And another one of our faves is Yannick Sinner, who ended last year at 78 in the world, now is ending 2020 a career high of 37, having moved up 41 ranking spots. Just like last year when he won the next-gen finals, he ended this year amazingly as well with the Roland Garros quarters and the title in Sofia. But, you know, overall, these are some great nominees. Um, I think that, you know, all of them have made some real, really good improvements throughout the year. Um, 
especially in the cases of Rublev and Schwartzman, even though they didn't move as many ranking spots as other players, um, they the ranking spots that they did move up were within were in the top 20 or top 10, top 15 players in the world. It's so much harder to move up significantly in those, obviously, since there's not even a lot of spots left. I mean, people don't realize how significant the numbers between 20 and to 1 are versus 20 to, like, 100. Yeah, yeah, exactly. comparing is incredible. That's why I think, like, the fans voted for Rublev as most improved. That's why I would agree with that, because he moved 15 ranking spots within the top 20, pretty much within the top 20. And, I mean, that's really impressive. And, you know, he had titles throughout the year, like, consistently before and after the COVID break. As Josefina was saying, performed well at the Grand Slams. Um, Even a contender for player of the year. And I just think that, you know, even though he was a top-tier player last year, too, just the leap he came he made leaps and bounds in 2020 and is now you know one of the best um this year especially so that's why i personally would um, put him in the mix and i would say the other three are also definitely contenders okay so next category we have comeback player of the year and I'm going to start this off with Kevin Anderson, who started 2019 at number six, following huge successes in the Grand Slams in the past few years. But then elbow and knee injury plagued his 2019 and 2020 seasons. However, near the end of this year, he reached the semis at Vienna, the French Open third round, and is also back in the top eight, 100. He is currently number 81 and had been... Um, number 147 in 2020. So I think coming yeah, back from injuries so fast, that's like a huge thing to consider here. Yeah, especially since he had been as low as 147 earlier in the year. And now another player who's been nominated for Comeback Player of the Year is Andrei Kuznetsov. And I actually didn't know his full story until doing some research for this um, episode. But he hasn't played a full competitive season since 2017 because of hip injuries. And, you know, he did a lot of cool things during that time. He commentated a bit. He was a coach. He got married. He had his son. But he has been working on a comeback since then and returned to the tour after the COVID break. He actually even reached the second round of the U.S. Open as an unranked player. I believe first person since 2007 to do that. And, you know, he was unranked in 2020. And, you know, he's former world number 39, top 40 player. And he's made his ranking kind of climbing back up. And he's at number 509 right now. But, I mean, I just hope he stays healthy and can continue a uh, an exciting comeback. Next up, we have Vasek Pospisil, who had a back surgery during the first half of 2019. Then he returned to the top 100 in 2020. He was the former world number 25, went down to 148 in 2020. This year, he had two ATP Tour finals, Sofia and Montpellier, and he made it to the round of 16 in the U.S. Open and is now at number 61, so that is 87 ranking spots up. Our last one is fellow Canadian Milos Raonic. He suffered injuries throughout 2019, but, you know, as we discussed earlier in our Grand Slam recaps, he actually got to the quarters of the Australian Open, the finals of Cincinnati, and the semis of the Rolex Paris Masters, and is back inside the top 20 at number 14. So, Josephina, out of these four ATP players, who would you pick as your comeback player of the year? I know it's a tough choice. 
I mean, even though the other ones are more well-known, from what I heard about Kuznetsov, like, that's pretty impressive. And, I mean, coming from unranked to number 509, I mean, he can only go up from there. Like we were talking about before, it's much easier, especially knowing his potential as being a former world number 39, to go back up the rankings, especially if he's that high. I don't think that's, like, really a number to see as the number it is, but to see his potential you know what i mean yeah yeah like it's a sign of his trajectory going forward like starting exactly. unranked and get already making ground exactly. i see what you mean yes yeah i think that's definitely a sound argument i would say if i'm looking at like specifically performance um i would say that i think pospisil has done really well this year i think we noticed at the u.s open both of us were kind of like whoa since when is pospisil back you know doing well at the slams you know and he got to tour two tour finals he almost got a title in sofia like that match against sinner was very close um so yeah it's nice to see him competing back again but uh let's go to newcomer of the year Right, our first person here is Carlos Alcaraz, 17-year-old Spanish kid. Um, started, <laughs> started the year at number 492, ended at number 136, his career high. He went on a 14-match winning streak. He won his first challenger title in Treste, and his second one one week later. He also got his first ATP Tour main draw match victory. So, I mean, what is that? 300 spots up? (laughs) (laughs) So there's just something about Spanish tennis players um, doing well when they're young. And maybe if he lives up to his... The next Rafael Nadal? Question mark? Ooh. <laughs> anyway, you heard our next... it first. You heard it here first. Uh, yep. Um, the next nominee is Sebastian Corda, the 20-year-old American. Um, he started the year at 2.42 and at 1.18. He had some great challenger results and ITF results throughout the year, even getting his first challenger title in November. Grand Slam debut at the U.S. Open, which is obviously great to debut on your home court. Um, and he you know, played the qualifying rounds of the French Open and made it all the way to the round of 16, falling to his idol, Rafael Nadal. Um, So some great strides there for Corda as well. And next up, we have Lorenzo Musetti, the 18-year-old Italian, who also had a lot of his success on a home court this year. I mean, he had his ATP Masters 1000 debut at the Italian Open, he upset Stan Wawrinka and Kei Nishikori en route to the third round, which is crazy considering they're both top ten, former top 10 players. And the, the very next week, he won his first challenger title in Forley, and he also made it to his first ATP Tour semifinal in Sardinia. This is a solid year for somebody that young. Yeah, our next uh, nominee is Yuri Rodionov uh, from Austria. Um, he cut his ATP ranking by more than half and is now in the ATP top 150. Um, he got three titles this year, um, an eight match win streak. And he also debuted, um, in his first Grand Slam main drought, the French Open, and he won his first round match. Um, and in his first ATP main driver debut, he actually upset Denis Shapovalov. So, you know, some great, great, uh, progress from him. Next up, we have Emil Rusevori, the 21-year-old Finnish kid. 
<laughs> Again, I don't know what to say after that. Okay. He broke the ATP top 100. He started the Finnish year- gentleman. Yes. Okay. Yeah, let's go with that. Why not? He broke the ATP top 100, started the year reaching a challenger final, defeating Sinner en route. He qualified it for the Western and Southern Open main draw, and then he made his Grand Slam debut at the U.S. Open, made it to the second round where he was forced to withdraw due to injury, and then he reached his first ATP semifinal at North Sultan. Our last uh, nominee is Tiago Sabath Wild from Brazil. He also improved his ranking spot uh, by a lot, by over 100 uh, spots, actually. Um, his first title was in Santiago earlier in the year and made his Grand Slam main draw debut at the U.S. Open. So these are, like, really impressive results from these, as Josefina called them, kids. Um, actually, it's kind of wild. Like, they're only a few years older than we are, and they're, like, doing so well. Um... But I don't know. This is tough to pick. I'm kind no, of torn see, between Alcaraz and Musetti because I feel yeah. like Alcaraz made a huge jump in the ranking spots, but then Musetti was also more prominent on, like, the actual ATP main draw level, whereas exactly. Alcaraz was playing a lot of challengers. So maybe I'd pick Musetti over him, but I, I really don't know. Well, the thing is that also Musetti has been getting more media attention due to the fact that yeah. he was in the bigger tournaments like the Italian Open. So, yeah. I mean, they're only one year apart, so both amazing, like, results They can both the take it. Exactly. They can we'll, both take it. We'll give them work. a tie. Easy. There, done. We'll give, we'll give them the, the honorary hotter tie. Exactly. Um, for this, for newcomer of the year. Okay, our last category, which we also did for the WTA and the ATPs doing it too, Coach of the Year. The way um, the ATP does it is actually, like, coaches vote on the nominees and then person with the most votes wins so we're gonna overview some of the nominees for atp coach of the year first up we have medvedev's coach since 2017 gilis servara he was last year's coach of the year and he said the biggest accomplishment of 2020 he feels is medvedev's being nito champion and i would agree with him there <laughs> for sure Juan Ignacio Chela is Diego Schwartzman's coach and has been since 2017. He talks about, um, kind of in an interview, he talked about how he and Diego have similar personalities and are kind of like on the same wavelength, which is nice. I think Josefina and I are also on the same wavelength. I don't know. Pretty pretty cool. We're, we're making some waves on the same wavelength. Anyway, Ooh, nice. um, he said he's most proud of Diego's top 10 date. I love how I'm calling him Diego as if I know him, but like... It's We're okay. It. You know, he's our pal. Exactly. He's most proud of his top 10 debut, Rome final, and Roland Garros semis. So definitely some good coaching there. Isn't to that get all there, his that accomplishments? <laughs> <laughs> I guess he can't... I think, um, I think the top 10 debut is what he said first. So maybe that's what he's most proud of. Okay. So next up, we have Nicholas Masu, who joined on team's coach team joined on as team's coach last year um when reflecting team, on his team yeah team 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 team, team. <laughs> <laughs> when reflecting on his partnership with him he said that them coming from different cultures masu is south american team is european the different pers- personalities really complement each other they are also close in age masu only retired seven years ago so he knows what the tour is like and Masu says that team's biggest achievements this year are the U.S. Open, seconded by the 
Australian Open, and NITO Finals. If he didn't say the U.S. Open was his biggest achievement, I would have been kind of confused. I would have been like, then what else? Um, our next coach is Ricardo Piatti, who has been Yannick, Sinner co- Yannick Sinner's coach since 2014, which is since he was 13 years old. Um, I mean, so not that long ago, the- considering his age. I mean, he's only 19. <laughs> yeah, he talked about how um, he since working with Sinner with from such a young age kind of allows him to focus on like educating him about the sport sport more and more um and he said he was most proud of his success at the french open and also his first title in sofia which is an amazing way to cap off the year next up we have fernando vicente andre rublev's coach since 2016 they're both super passionate about the sport but also know how to relax and decompress off the court vicente said He's most happy with how Rublev stayed level-headed in the weeks leading up to Nito, where their goal was to perform well enough to qualify, plus the five titles he won slash overall improvement. So this, this is all good stuff. So one thing Shravi and I have noticed, considering the ATP and WTA coach nominations, they are all male. So, you know, what's up with that? Okay. I know. They hire us as coaches. Come on, man. Exactly. Like, we're not that much. We're literally the same age as Carlos Alcaraz almost. He can, <laughs> if, Masu, if Masu says that he and Dominic Team are close to the same age, then why can't we be the coach of, like, Carlos Alcaraz or something? I mean, you know how much experience we have on the ATP tour? It's insane. Yeah, we just we just have so much knowledge to give. Exactly. As it's Ricardo Piatti said. Here, and the podcast is how we get it out. When we could be helping a player <laughs> exactly. become number one. Wow. Exactly. Hit us up, guys. I know you're listening to this episode. Um, anyway, if I had to pick a uh, coach of the year, I think I would give it to Nicholas Masu. I mean, first of all, his reactions from the coaching box were always really funny. Like, when he'd be stressed out about team, especially in that U.S. Open final. But I just think that, you know, having joined on only last year and team having had the best season of his life i mean i gotta give it to the guy yeah and i mean also i've seen on team social media it's kind of funny how they train because masu will be recording him and then kind of like yelling at him and it seems angry but i'm sure every yell is the more loud it is the louder it is the more hard it has so (laughs) (laughs) it's great it's really great Okay, so going right into the tennis ball frizz quiz, where, well, since this is not technically a tournament, but in this episode, if Hudson gets more than three questions right, he will be crowned the tennis ball frizz quiz whiz. So starting off with the first question, what color did Djokovic wear most in the Grand Slam finals that he won? Is it A, red, B, blue, C, green, or D, white? gonna go blue no it's white (laughs) wow all right great start it's a good start okay (laughs) next question true or false an asteroid has been named after rafael nadal (sighs) see i don't think you can make that up i don't know if you can make that up so you're saying true Uh, i'm gonna go true it is true um it's a it's it's actually pretty cool they it used to be named some random number but now it's named rafa 
Okay, so question number three. The US Open this year was the only tournament of the three that occurred to have a first-time champion. When was the last time the champion of a Grand Slam was winning a Grand Slam for the first time? Who was it and which slam was it? Okay, um, 2016, uh, Stan Wawrinka French Open, 2014, Marin Cilic US Open, 2013, Stan Wawrinka um, US Open, or 2012, Andy Murray Wimbledon? Oh, I mean, kind of gave me the answer in the question. It's the first one, right? Wawrinka, 2016? No. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> 2014 Chilich U.S. Open, because it was winning a slam for the first time. While Vrinka right. had already won French Opens before the 2016 U.S. Open. Did he? Yes. What? Yes, <laughs> he definitely did. All right. Okay, That's which no. of the fault? <laughs> you can, you can, if you get these next two questions correct, you still have a chance. All right, or at as least long one as I have them. a chance. Which of the following 2020 NITO ATP Finals competitors had the greatest percentage of return games won in 2020? A. Diego Schwartzman, B. Rafael Nadal, C. Andre Rublev, or D. Novak Djokovic? It's gotta be Novak, right? No, it's Diego, it's Diego? Schwartzman. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, wait, Joseph, you can't, did you, you say... can't throw Djokovic in there because I'm gonna say Djokovic. Uh, that's the that's the reason why we threw him in okay. there. Yeah, see, our questions are very advanced. Exactly. Um. So the last question is: Dominic Thiem is known to have a love for wildlife. Which of the following animals is he not a godfather of? Is it A, an anteater, B, a hammerhead shark, C, a red panda, or D, D a koala? Uh, man. This is, this is a great question. Um, I'm gonna go koala. It's red panda. Uh, nope. Wow, that was my, that was my second answer. <laughs> okay, unfortunately, you haven't been declared the tennis ball for his quiz whiz, but in spirit, you won it. All right, I'll, I'll study up next time. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you some fun content during the off-season and, of course, updates on all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Stay tuned for some more fun episodes in, in these next few weeks as the tennis preseason wraps up heading into 2021. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravia. That is, if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't like it, please tell your friends my name is Benjamin and Shravia's name is Harry. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>